Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I'm back. I know I've been gone for a minute. And I always say this when I come back after a little hiatus. I don't have seasons and I need breaks sometimes because we're working on such exciting projects and I can't do them all at the same time. So yeah, we have to take little breaks here and there to kind of pivot. And I don't know if any of y'all have done a Kickstarter, but holy fucking shit, it is so hard. Uh, especially when you don't have like a built-in ginormous network. We've raised 44.4K as of this recording right now in three weeks. That's amazing. And we're really proud of that and very thankful for those of you listening right now who have pledged and have become backers and part of this New Blood family. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, we are doing a Kickstarter right now. We have four days left to raise funds for two shows. One is an episodic ghost hunting show, sort of from a different perspective. We don't just investigate ghosts. We investigate fae, cryptids, aliens, whatever might be uh, available on that property. We don't know exactly what we're investigating all the time. We just have ideas. What we do in that show is just attempt to make contact with whatever that entity is. You know, we follow places and people who reach out to us with reports of high strangeness. And we just investigate through a very feminist and polite lens. You know, we, we don't yell at ghosts. We don't banish ghosts or whatever entity it may be. But like I said, we just go in as politely and warmly as possible and try to make contact. So that's the first show. The second show is a long-form docuseries, which is also a paranormal investigation show. But it's more based on my personal awakening. I've had various awakenings throughout my life on my woo journey, but this one is one that started during the pandemic. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. You know, I read a book by Michelle Belanger called The Psychic Vampire Codex. I highly recommend it to anyone who's listening. And it spun me into this ball, this fear of synchronicities. And I met a bunch of fascinating people and I learned a lot about myself. The question came to light are you a vampire? You know, because the Psychic Vampire Codex is about real life modern vampires that are alive right now. And that is how they identify and how they work with energy. And so that was the impetus. But you know, when you go on woo adventures, if you've done so, you never know where the woo is going to pull you. We had, I'm so proud of this, an all queer cast and crew. And a lot of the crew wasn't even interested in being part of the woo adventure. But in this case, we learned very quickly that this was not just an awakening for me, but an initiatory experience for everyone, cast and crew. And I'm telling you, things get really nutty. That adventure is still going on in the background as I'm speaking into the microphone right now. The synchronicities just keep 
be getting more synchronicities. And we're following it. And we already have a very clear storyboard for season two. Now, because it's a docuseries, we don't have the narrative structure completely fleshed out because you can never until it's said and done in the editing room. Sometimes you go into a documentary series and think, oh, this is what the show's about. But then you're done in the editing room and you think, oh, wait, this is the actual story. We haven't even looked through all of the footage, but we're over 100 hours of footage at this point for both of the shows. And this is way bigger than me just awakening to potentially being part of this energetic vampire community. So if you believe in that, help us out. Uh, four days, we got to make a little over 20K. We have some cool things coming up. For those of you who love to watch paranormal shows, we have a uh, live coming up with Katrina Weidman from Portals to Hell, Paranormal State. She's also doing Travel the Dead, her own show on YouTube. She's paranormal royalty. So we're lucky to get to chat with her. In case I haven't mentioned it already, you know, the Psychic Vampire Codex is written by Michelle Belanger, who has been on Conjuring Kesha. Yeah, that's right. Kesha is a ghost hunter now. Paranormal State as well and Portals to Hell and many other paranormal shows. They were even a consultant for True Blood, which is one of my favorite fictional vampire series that you can watch. The Kickstarter itself has turned into this amplification of the initiatory process. It's invited all of these other badass folks who we feel so connected to. Two of those people are Jack and Shane Townsend. Jack Townsend, you might know if you're into vampires and you're on TikTok. He's the vampire king of TikTok. He's going to be joining us in season two. So the episodic show is called Inhuman Beings, and the long-form show is called New Blood. The Kickstarter itself is called New Blood TV, which is just sort of the umbrella for the whole dang thing, because we're literally calling in all the new blood for this project, for this Kickstarter. That will be in the show notes. You can also just go to Kickstarter and type in New Blood. We have amazing rewards, magically infused planchettes for Ouija boards, a pride demon t-shirt, a Bigfoot t-shirt, access to VIP footage, bonus episodes, all kinds of things. We're also running a contest right now. That's right. And for those of you who do know who Jack Townsend is, you're going to love this because whoever wins the contest gets a 15-minute call, one-on-one, one-on-one people with Jack Townsend. He will growl for you if you know you know. And if you don't know who he is, you need to look him up on TikTok. You're not going to be disappointed. Trust me. You will also get a 30-minute psychic reading from Beverly McChesney, who is a psychic that we work with on the shows, an astrology reading with Carly Heath, who has been the astrologer that we've worked with most for both of the shows. You will also get a um, contemplation card deck that Michelle Belanger created and a custom piece of paranormal investigative equipment. Whoever shares a custom link that we'll give you if you enter the contest with the most people and gets the most pledges out of friends and family and whoever your network is will win the grand prize. And then there are three runners up. Help us out. Come on. I'm not above begging at this point. We got to do it. I always remind people of this in all of the lives that we're doing. One episode of Paranormal TV, just one on network TV, costs anywhere from $100,000 to $250,000. And with $66,000, we will be creating two seasons. I mean, come on. It's not that much money and every little bit counts. And also join our Discord network. For those of you who are my patrons, spoiler alert, I don't know how to use Discord. I'm sure you figured that out because I haven't been up in there. But what you can do is join the New Blood Discord. Also, you can find that at newblood.tv. 
if you scroll down, there's a little Discord button. And that one is incredibly active. If you want to talk about all the weird there, feel free to jump right in. It's a great community. We just did a ritual last night at 10 p.m. with Keprians, which you have to learn about that another time because I want to introduce our guests for today. We really do want to create a community out of this. That's what we care about more than anything. All right, that's my whole spiel. I am done. Think about it. Marinate in it. Pledges come out on July 9th at 8.08 a.m. Eastern Time. Just so you know, the money doesn't come right out of your account when you pledge. We get that question a lot. Let's transition to my guest today, Frodo Akalam, Dr. Reverend Frodo Akalam, who actually was my wife's professor at Portland State University. Frodo teaches topics in feminist spirituality in the women, gender, and sexuality studies departments at Portland State University. Frodo is the coordinator of Sister Spirit, which is an eclectic women's spirituality group in the Portland, Oregon area. The author of The Julian Mystique, which is a combination of the historical aspect of Julian of Norwich with an in-depth look at her theology and in particular her theology of the motherhood of Christ. Frodo's life passion is inviting people into relationship with the goddess and the natural world. My wife told me about Frodo and just said, you really should talk to them because this is someone who I remember so vividly from my college experience. This is somebody who made an impact on my life, magically speaking, spiritually speaking, and I think from a feminist perspective as well. Some of the things we talk about today are about those things, magic and witchcraft from the feminist perspective. Also, the intersection of religions like Catholicism and Christianity and the divine feminine. Frodo is so smart and is in the academic field doing this deep research. We also talk about LGBT folk in the realm of magical practices and how all of this stuff is more connected than we think it is. I love listening to Frodo. They even do a little song that they do that's like a ritual for every morning. They, they sing that about midway through. So it's beautiful. I'm downloading it so that I can listen to it myself whenever I want. Also, there I, I will say there's a trigger warning. Frodo shares a personal story that includes unaliving themselves. Pew pews are mentioned as well. So just be mindful of that before you get into this. Other than that, I would say just sit back and enjoy. Frodo is so wonderful to listen to and so wonderful to know. So I usually like to start with your woo background, and I know it's vast because of the pre-call <laughs> that we had, but I really want to know like, you know, how you got to be the practitioner that you are now or, you know, and and. I also don't know exactly what you want me to call you. I usually just stick with magical practitioner for everyone until they tell me otherwise. What do yeah. you prefer? You know, that's good. I, um, one of my friends asked me the other day, do you consider yourselves a witch? Yes. Do you consider yourself Wiccan? Yes. Do you consider yourself pagan? Yes. Do you consider yourself Catholic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Kind of, and I was ordained by Met Metropolitan Community Church, so there's another um, ecumenical Christian church in the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, any of those and all of those relate. Priestess, Michael recently, my friend used the term priestex, gender, okay. which makes yeah. a lot of sense. So priestess or priestex, 
Um, and Sister Spirit, my title is coordinator. Reverend is one of my titles. I have my doctor in ministry, so doctor. So, I mean, you know, I'm just Frodo. <laughs> I well, see you back there, I think. There's I a little kitty. Yeah, that's Hilda. <laughs> Mike, yeah, where he is, he may appear. He usually likes to be in Zoom meetings. Well, listen, so, okay. So you have just your answer to what title you like to use. I mean, just right there, there was so much. And we got to go back. Yes. So, yes. so tell me, I, I imagine, and I think this is from, I think I remember this from the pre-call. You were raised Catholic. Is that correct? Like, tell me. No, about- no, I wasn't. Um, you weren't. Well, it's okay. interesting. My mom is Methodist, which she chose. Her mother was Seventh-day Adventist. She rebelled and became a Methodist. Oh, shit. Um, my dad... Uh, was agnostic, um, not sure if there's a deity or not. Okay. Um, and was he was in World War II, went through the Battle of the Bulge. He figured if there is a God and if they're supposedly omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, why did they prevent that war? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard it, that a lot. It, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. You, you really can't. It's called the theodicy question. Actually, you really can't hold all of those. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. so anyway, that's he was agnostic. I'm not sure. You know, just I'm yeah. not sure. Um, so then you chose Catholicism. I chose well recently, actually. Yeah, my path is interesting. It's that's so fascinating. I don't know if I've ever I mean, interviewed someone who has chosen Catholicism as an adult. Tell yeah. me everything. Well, well, and not giving up being a witch either. I yes, mean, that's even more interesting. To me, the paths intersect. All the paths do intersect. And they're um, the names that we use attempt to describe aspects. That's what I think. And yeah. so, um, you know, I've spent the whole summer devoted to Inanna. And what I found was Inanna really is foundational to so much, basically all the other traditions. I mean, many, many of our traditions, if they arose at all in the Western world or um, Asia, they came out of that that Sumerian. They came through there. Um, anyway, it branched out. But anyway, uh, or maybe... Her myths are just so archetypal that they show up everywhere. Yeah. Maybe there's not exactly a trail of journey. Anyway, me, the paths intersect. So, okay, how old were you when you were, when you chose the name Frodo or sort of, it was almost chosen for you in a way, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It started out as a nickname. Um, I was 11. 11, wow. And then by the time I was in high school, I started writing poetry at first. Um, I used a pen name, and the last name in my pen name is Okulam. And Okulam is Chinook, um, and I found it in the back of a children's book also called Kukkos Chinook Tai. And it's a word that means the sound of the surf. So I thought, 
the sound of the surf, the sound of the sea waves. So I thought, wow, there's a word that means the sound of the sea. That is cool. And it sounds like a wave breaking on the rocks. And it's a word from here. So, and that book was mythic stories about places I knew where I'd been. And that was exciting too, because I could, I, where the stories were located. And so I took that name, <laughs> Okulam, not realizing that, um, even though in the back of the children's book, it didn't identify that it was also the name of the g- giant who's a bad character in the story. Um, you know, uh, I have the name of this destructive giant now. <laughs> but the, the connection is the giant. We're not actually supposed to tell these stories this time of year, I think. But anyway, <laughs> there's a taboo. Anyway, it's the story. It's the, the destructive giant. But it's also the word for the sound of the surf. So that's the that's the last name. Yeah. And that feeds into the spirituality too. So if you just even starting with the names, um, you can see the path that I was on opening up. Then I went to college. Okay. In high school, I was the mayor of the Portland Smile of the Tolkien Society of America. <laughs> so I was doing Lord of the Rings stuff. Um in I went to college. And the first day I went over to the Gay Student Union, it was it was called then. And I met my friend Tio, who is Steve Marshall. He's the bishop of the Queen of Heaven Gnostic Church now. So he's Gnostic. Um, anyway, we have similar paths. Um, and I knew his name. It's like, how did I know his name? I never met him. Um, that deep, you know, brotherhood connection. Um, and pretty soon I discovered that the women having, since I had always been attracted to women, the women were in the women's union, as they called it. Mm-hmm. So, so I went over there to the women's union. Right. That's what we do. <laughs> we're there. And um, so I claimed a lesbian identity. Before that, really, childhood, I was transgendered. I did not consider myself female um but of course that was not a thing then right and non-binary wasn't a thing then but i was always that i mean in my neighborhood if they were boys against girls i was on whichever side needed more people <laughs> you know? yeah but i found my way to the women's union and on the bookshelf in the women's union there was a magazine and it was the first issue of woman spirit magazine and I thought, hmm, wonder what that's about, woman spirit. So I opened it up, and they were talking about the goddess. And I think it was Jean Mountain Grove wrote the first issue in the introduction. I'm on a journey back in time, forward into the future, down into my center. And I thought, wow, I'm on that journey too. And it was it was early in the in the women's spirituality movement, people that I that now are known were writing for that magazine early on, you know, Starhawk and Z Budapest and uh, Shakina Mountain Mountain Grove Mountain Water and you know a bunch of people 
writing for Woman Spirit, published out of Southern Oregon, out of Wolf Creek by Ruth and Jean Mountain Grove. So I began writing, too, for the magazine. When they did an issue up here, I was part of the group putting it together. So then I realized I met the women who became my first circle, started practicing paganism, Wicca. We, we sort of considered those words synonymous then, but um, the first circle was connected with the Mother Grove in Austin, Texas, Morgan McFarland. Anyway, but loosely connected. But anyway, we, uh, we were a women's circle. And that's how I started practicing my spiritual tradition. So then from there, eventually after uh, years, I was invited to Metropolitan Community Church, which I thought, okay, I'll go visit this Christian church, even though it's not my thing. But I discovered at that time, it was mostly men. There were maybe five or six women in attendance. But there was a woman up front serving communion. And I thought, wow. There's a woman up front, which I wasn't used to seeing. This was 1977 at that point, and I decided to go to communion because they invited everybody to come. So I went, and I went to the wall, and she served me, and she said she prayed after she gave me the host, and she said, Mother, Father, God, and she prayed to Mother, Father, God, and I thought, Wow. They're using the word mother in a Christian church for God. This is new. This is cool. And it was the congregation, even though it was mostly male, was diverse. And I thought, too, because at the time, Wiccan and pagan circles were pretty homogenous. I mean, they were groups of friends who met each other because they were neighbors or they went to the same school or something. So it wasn't very diverse at that time. And of course, later, you know, yes, it's very diverse now. So I liked that. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. Maybe I'll out myself to them, tell them who I am and see what they do. And of course, they were surprised, but welcoming when I yeah. told them pagan priestess and worship the goddess. Yeah. What that, it, did they accept you right away or was there pushback or how, how did that conversation go? <laughs> it was interesting. I went and sat on the pastor's desk. Austin Amarin, he's gone now. But anyway, I said, you know, I'm a pagan priestess and I worship the goddess. And he says, I'm not sure I understand you. And I don't know if I agree with you, but I can tell you one thing. You're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> That's for, you know, okay, I haven't met this before. And that was kind of the way, you know, in MCC, because yeah. it's eclectic. I mean, people came from Pentecostal backgrounds, people came who were Mormon, people who were Catholic, people who were Methodist, people who were Presbyterian, you know, all the different iterations of Christianity and, you know, not, <laughs> and all the different varieties of LGBTQ plus people. So, I mean, it took them a bit to wrap their minds around, but pretty soon they began to get it, you know. Most of them began to get it. And so I was part of the opening of that church to the possibility of female genders for the divine, you know, and traditions coming in, which always were pagan, but 
identified as such, yeah. like our, our calendars, only the wheel of the year, right? Anyway, um, so that all began to, to change, I think, the catalysts for that in that denomination. So then personally, what after I was in Metropolitan Community Church and doing Sister Spirit, and being ordained as clergy in MCC in 1989, that same year we started Pagan Fair, I think. I was ordained by MCC. Ordained as a? As a clergy person, yeah. For, for what was MCC again? I'm getting them confused. It's, okay. Metropolitan Community Church is a GLBTQ church um, in the mostly eclectic Christian. Okay. Community. But they ordained me to do Sister Spirit because it's eclectic goddess spirituality, Got which was it. a stretch. It was a huge stretch for them. But was after MCC ordained me, one of the things, one of the people on my committee, I had to fight for my ordination because some people didn't agree. But anyway, one of the people said they thought I should go to Catholic seminary. And I'm like, why should I go to Catholic seminary? That doesn't make any sense. Well, eventually, I knew somebody who was going to Catholic seminary, mm -hmm. said, why don't you go to seminary? And I thought, well, let me investigate that. So I ended up going to Mount Angel Catholic Seminary and getting my master's, my MA in theology um, from Mount Angel. And that was interesting, being open about your spirituality and your interacting with people whose spirituality is really different than yours and you find the common ground to me that's exciting yeah. because there's an exchange of ideas and there's a an exchange of energy sometimes when i that people think i'm talking about conversion of one person to the other uh, other's tradition i don't mean that yeah i conversation not conversion so Anyway, I went to Mount Angel, got my degree. I wrote a dissertation, uh, a thesis. My master's thesis became a book, The Julian Mystique, Her Life and Teachings about the mystic Julian of Norwich, 13th, 14th century English mystic, who's wow. primarily known for her theology of the motherhood of Jesus. She identified Jesus as mother which I found. So that's what got me interested in her. What you found? I found that fascinating that she would identify Jesus as mother. Yeah. Didn't have any problem with the gender difference there at all. You know, it was an extensive theology and it's earth connected. She had a vision of the earth as small as a hazelnut, but it holds together because God loves it. She says, mm. yes, I mean, Things in the universe do hold together because of attraction, because of gravity. <laughs> so, I mean, what is attraction? Brian Swim has written about this. Brian, um, attraction could, might as well be love, right? <laughs> so it is all held together. The whole universe is it's held together by attraction, gravity, which is love. <laughs> attraction is love. Yeah. Anyway, so... That made sense. I mean, she was so far ahead of her time. That was flat earth in those days. And yeah. And small, right? Realizing how small the earth is in the universe. Anyway, so 
then after that, some of my teachers and some of my classmates were sisters of holy names, sisters of the holy names of Jesus and Mary, same as the order that did the music camp, young musicians that I went to when I was an 11-year-old child. Okay. Are those nuns? Are we talking about nuns? Well, they don't call themselves nuns. They call themselves sisters. Okay, sisters. Nuns are in cloisters and we're not. That's what they say. Oh, okay, good. But yeah, anybody else calls them nuns. So then I became, you know, once again, connected with them. Eventually, I thought about going back for my around here to get your doctorate in any spirituality field. You know, where was I going to go? Because at the time, there wasn't like the online pagan seminary there is now, and there weren't those things then. And so some, Merrill Hurst University started a joint program for doctor of ministry with San Francisco Theological Seminary, which is a Presbyterian school. So they had this joint Catholic and Presbyterian-sponsored eclectic doctor of ministry program. So I applied to that, and I thought, okay. I'll get my doctorate there at Merrill Hurst and San Francisco Theological Seminary. So that one of my teachers and the director of the program was a holy name sister, Dr. Cecilia Ranger. Holy names, SNJM is the initials they use, standing for the holy names of Jesus and Mary in French, which they were in French Canada, they started. Anyway, so then one day Sister Cecilia said, you know, our community has associates, and associates can don't have to even be Catholic. They can be of any any tradition that want to celebrate with us and work for justice with us and be part of our of the things that we do and the community events that we have. And so I went, my hand went up, and so did several of my classmates, and we became associates of the Holy Name Sisters. So not nuns, not sisters, but associates. I love that your goal, it seems like so much of the time in the work that you do, is to find the common ground. And I think that doesn't happen a lot, especially, I mean, like I grew up, well, I grew up kind of weird in the way that I was allowed to try many different religions and things like that. But Christianity was the like the coolest and all my friends were Christian when I was younger. And so you know, I did that for a little while. And then I was like, this doesn't feel quite right. And, you know, once I sort of went through the process, I realized, you know, and now I'm a witch, but I realized though, that like, there's so much commonality between among all of the different traditions. I mean, that I mean, we so we focus, we always focus on the negative. We always focus on the thing that is different about them. And at the end of the day, if we were, if we just did not give a fuck about what the other group was doing, it would be so much cooler. You know, just if you want to be a Christian, rock and roll. If you want to yeah. be a Christian and go also to women's circle, fuck yeah. If you want to go be a witch, fine. But I, I think the, biggest issue is just and and this is what you just said is that we get so judgmental of the of the other group and I love that your work is I mean even your intrinsic identity is it's about putting things that seem like they don't go together together you know yeah 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 
It's really fascinating. And, and I'm curious about your relationship with, with magic, you know, and, and how you practice, you know, with all yes. of these, these different threads of different traditions. What does it look like when you cast a spell or, or something, you know, and I don't yeah, even know what, yeah, what your, yeah. your brand is. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Okay. So for example, Sister Spirit is doing our winter solstice ritual on the 17th, so next Saturday, and I'm leading it. And our ritual solstice, which was the second ritual we ever did as Sister Spirit in 1985, we call it Festival of Lights, which is kind of the subtitle of Hanukkah. But it occurred to us that so is winter solstice, a festival of light. It's the rebirth of the sun the sun from that point on the day longer so the sun's coming back out of the most dark time of the year um so a whole bunch of holidays in lots of traditions in the northern hemisphere celebrate holidays of light this time of year so it kind of starts um last month with diwali hindu tradition and then, um, you know, then we have all these holidays of light um, right around here. There's um, there's the Advent, which one of the holidays that we're going to do this year in our circle is Advent. And some people are starting to celebrate Advent as not just the Advent of Jesus, birth of Jesus, but the Advent of the birth of the Son. So like, like Joanna on her website has uh, her advent wreath which is about the sun joanna powell colbert artist artist um is you know she did the guy and tarot and other wonderful tarot um books and her art is just um anyway she's uh her she showed her advent wreath so advent's one of the holidays it's actually a four-week holiday but you light one more candle each week right for advent another one uh, i just said is hanukkah which starts the 18th this evening an eight-day holiday which is about they had enough oil for one day and it lasts for eight days yeah that's just of it so hanukkah being a holiday of light we celebrate this year we're celebrating our lady of guadalupe's feast day which is the 12th she is the apparition of Mary in the this hemisphere. Um, she appeared at Tepeyac in, in Mexico on the site of a temple to Tonantzin, the Aztec Earth Mother goddess, and said she wanted a temple built there to her, identified herself as Our Lady of Guadalupe, which was titled from Spain. But anyway, she... so. Her feast day, she had a miracle where roses appeared blooming on the hillside, that hill, that were out of season, you know, and they eventually, Juan Diego, who's the, goes by her hill and she's talking to him, he gathers up the roses from the hill to take to the bishop as a sign, and the picture, Our Lady of Guadalupe, the picture appears on his, his tilma, his cloak. It's, to, to us, it's also a holiday of light because she's radiant. The, the rays coming out of her, 
She's got the stars on her cloak. She's standing on the moon, you know, and she's bringing earth mother energy also. She's pregnant. She's about to give birth. Mm-hmm. You know, just all these things that connect. So we're celebrating her day. And we're celebrating winter solstice, of course. All That's the wheel of the year holiday that we're on. And we also like to celebrate St. Lucia's Day. Um, there's a Swedish tradition of the young girl in the household coming in with candles on her head and she carries a tray of treats for the household. Mm. And I think that's December 13th, if I'm right. Um, anyway, St. Lucia and the Roman the Roman sun goddess was Lucina. So there's a connection to light. Yeah. St. Lucia, St. Lucy, um, connected to light, which is why she's about sight. She's a patron of blind people because she's about ha- um, having sight, having light. Also, I think really got popular in Sweden because, you know, in the that far north, the Scandinavian countries, it's really dark. Yes, it is. Long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> the tradition of coming in with candles, you know, on your head is is very much celebrated. So we like that. We like to bring in the light in that way too. So there's an eclectic ritual. Its core is winter solstice, but it, from all these world traditions that that we think are connected. And that means something to our community. And then we'll um, we'll dance. You know, we always have spiral dance. We raise energy uh, for all the things that we want to ask for this time of year, and send that out into the world and to whoever we know who needs whatever places it's needed. Always, we we almost always have a spiral dance and energy raising. Yeah, and I'm curious about you know your relationship with deities. So when you're doing magic or even just your personal practice, you know, do you do you like oscillate among different deities? Do you have one that you really like to work with? Do you do you work with them at all? I mean, what what does it look like? Do you have time in the morning where you spend time chatting with them in in some kind of way or what's it look like? Okay. Generally, I think I tend to just think of the goddess, <laughs> you know, and if I'm adding in the God, um, I just think of the goddess mostly. And to me, um, I mean, as I said, the names are identifying aspect. So I'll just, in my personal practice, is pretty much the goddess. So I will be at my home altar while I'm getting dressed, because when I wake up, uh, I'm not awake enough to do anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, when I'm getting dressed, I'll be at my home altar. I have a little song that I sing in my mind that I made up that's to the four directions. And it's really simple and easy that you can do fast. I don't know if you want singing on your podcast, but yes, I'd love it. <laughs> I would love that if you feel comfortable. Well, you know, do I have a voice today after running around in the cold? All the- Let's see. Bless the. The gates of dawn, bless the south, the noonday sun, bless the west, the rolling seas, bless the north, the tall green trees, bless the goddess, blessed be, 
Blessed the one who blesses. Oh, that was great. You know, and then if I if I feel like it, I'll add, Bless the God, the woodland Lord. Bless the saints who gone before. I think trees are probably one of my first experiences of not just thinking of them as objects, but they're beings and they speak to me and I speak to them. And yeah. I didn't yeah. think it was woo at until yeah. I, I actually got in trouble in fourth grade for telling another schoolmate that I taught what the tree said to me that morning. And to me, it was just like saying what you're or whatever, you know, oh, this morning, this tree said, so, you know, and then the other little girl says, trees don't talk. Sure they do. <laughs> well, that's what, I said. what do you mean trees don't talk about she goes, how can they? They don't have mouths. <laughs> they don't talk like that. They yeah. talk They talk to your mind. They say your head. And she goes, no, they don't. And she told the teacher. And the teacher kept me after school and tried to convince me that this was my imagination. Oh, boy. They really try <laughs> to, try to like, beat it out of you, don't they? Yeah, that's how they try to convince you that there isn't the woo, you know. Yeah, they You're really just, try hard. Well, that's your imagination. You're out there. This is doesn't really exist. Well, now, guess what? Suzanne Simard from the University of British Columbia has proven that trees talk to each other. Boom. Yeah, Find Another <laughs> Tree is her book, and it's, she tells, she's a scientist, so I mean, she tells all the details of how she chemically proved the trees talk. See, we knew it all along. <laughs> I know. There's so many things that now scientists through quantum physics are discovering yeah. that we knew. But yeah. we didn't have the same language for it, but we knew it. Yeah. Incredible, really. Quantum physics is, I could go down that rabbit hole. But I know. Yeah. I, I don't get most of it, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, same, same. So I wanted to ask if you would be comfortable singing that song just one more time, the, the song in the morning, because oh, I, dear. I missed one part of it. And I, it's, it's so beautiful. And I'd like to maybe even sing it myself if you would be comfortable with that. I like it because it's simple. And yeah, you know, it's when you're getting dressed and you have to go somewhere, maybe, you know. You can do this um, and turn to those directions while you sing it. Yeah. Bless the east, the gates of dawn. Bless the south, the noonday sun. Bless the west, the morning seas. Bless the north, the tall green trees. Bless the goddess, blessed be. Bless the one who blesses me. Oh, that's so good, Fredo. I love it. You know, the best songs are the ones that just, the songs just come to you. I have a whole lot of music that's just come to me. And I've tried to explain to people how I, quote, write songs. It's like, I'm doing something totally different, and here comes the song. Yeah, yeah. And so then my job is to repeat it enough to remember it and get somewhere where I can write it down. Yeah. Before way. I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits 
I, I, in listening to the way that you practice, you know, I use um, St. Francis's prayer and in my practices. So even when I'm doing a, a witch's circle, I use that prayer. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I love that prayer. And, you know, I, I, I've always been that way. And I think it's oh, the way I was raised. I was very lucky to be able to try so many different things and to, to mix them together. And, and I, I really love that about you. And the other component that feels similar is I, I really find that my magic works best at its, you know, highest potential when I'm tapped into music. And I think there's something yeah. so special about specifically singing with women, women singing together or female identifying people singing together. Um, I, and so I want to ask about that. Like, don't worry, I won't forget about PSU and Inanna. But I, I won't. I want to ask about the. You work with with women, or, or you know, primarily in your in your magic. How does that feel comparatively to working in a circle with men and women? If you've done that before, you know what's the difference there, and why do you prefer it? I don't know if I prefer it. I was asked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my mission. Uh, yeah, I was given that. Well, okay, so that story is realizing, well, always, that I was attracted to women. You know, I thought that God was against that because, you know, what they tell you, they tell you the Bible says you can't be gay or whatever, yeah. which is a, a whole nother podcast. Yes. Right? <laughs> um I was going to kill myself. I mean, I was going to commit suicide. I was 16 years old. I was in high school. There was no support then. I mean, no support. I didn't know anybody who was out, who was gay, you know, on and on and on. So I'm sitting there. Fortunately, my family didn't have guns. And I heard this female voice saying, you can do that if you want to, but don't you know I created you just the way you are for a reason, and I have plans for your life. Whoa, who's that? You know, because yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. And I identified her as Elbereth because it was a, a woman's voice speaking. And so I didn't know what the plans were, but I said, Okay, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. Yeah. Right? Um, and I did not know. But after I had that dream and realized I was supposed to start an eclectic women's circle, you know, that's how it went from that point. Um, so, I mean, to me, women's circles, first of all, the word circle, I feel like women's energy flows in in circles it really yes it wonderful round or spherical way yeah and then when we send it does spy it spirals up mm. but there's this um it really feels circular it feels like it is you are in circle mm. yeah. um it's interesting that male groups often will love the what say it again yeah. Male groups will often form a line. They'll line up to do 
and which is wonderful. You know, it's like I was recently in the larger community out of Finn and we were working on the Maypole, which we were going to then having erected it, you know, we were taking it down at that point, but it's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a pole. It's a, it's a straight, straight line between two points. Right. And it's energy. It conducts energy. It's wonderful. And so what you do with it, then you make a spiral around it, circling and weaving. Right. Yeah. But so that's the whole community female energy male energy all interweaving but um but there's there's a difference in how the energy moves i think and then in in eclectic groups women and men i think it does the spiral just like i was saying it does the spiral it goes both ways it flows in circles and lines and spirals and um interweaves like with the maple dance interweaves mm-hmm. uh, so to me, you know, it's it's all energy. It's all energy, but there's I guess I would say the difference is the way it moves. Got it. Yeah. And so there isn't a preference between the two. You just you, that's just sort of where you landed. That's where I land. Yeah. I really like I like both. I like to be part of all community things as well. You yeah. know, and what doesn't feel good is any kind of power over or you know patriarchal yeah interference i don't like and mostly you don't see that in the pagan community but it creeps in i mean people who with it um you know just the assumption of privilege without without realizing you're having it kind of thing yeah um, will creep in and so we got to watch that not just in terms of genders, but in terms of different ethnicities, you know, to to um, center the voices that are not empowered by our society. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I okay, so let's go back to PSU. Okay. And yeah, let's 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 dig into that real quick and then we'll uh, and then we're gonna go real weird. Okay. So how did I start Portland State University? Way back in the 1980s, um, there were two things going on at PSU that are related. One is there was a women's spirituality class, and it was taught by feminist women who were part of the campus ministry, which was sponsored by different denominations, Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists, but all did not mainline denominations had a campus ministry. And if there were women who were part of that campus ministry, they would teach a class called Women's Spirituality at PSU. So nice. that was going, I don't know when that started. I don't, I'm not clear about the beginning of that, but that was taught by those women ministers for a long, long time. Um, also in the 1980s, I think, uh, <laughs> There was a class at PSU called The Goddess, and it was a history class, a summer history class taught by Arthurian st- scholar Jeffrey Ash. Mm-hmm. A S H E, Jeffrey Ash, who did the Arthurian Encyclopedia. He is connected with Glastonbury. He was at, um, at Chalice Well, at Chalice Orchard, uh, which is Dion Fortune's original home. 
<laughs> that's, that's where and that we come back to that circle too pretty soon. I don't know if I'll get that far in the story. Anyway, Jeffrey taught this goddess class. So I would be a speaker. I would be, you know, wearing my Randa Witch hat um, mm -hmm. for, for the women's spirituality class and for Jeffrey's goddess class. Because I was somebody in the community that they would find to talk about, you know, Wiccan spirituality, pagan spirituality, or goddess spirituality in both those places at PSU. So then that was the first goddess class in the U.S., the one wow. that back in, in the 80s. Jesus. Yeah, stuff. Stuff's been happening. This is a hotbed. <laughs> anyway, so then eventually uh, PSU um, took over the, the PSU campus ministry went away because those denominations didn't have the money to fund it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it just went back into the individual denominations, you know, pro then who's going to teach the women's spirituality class. So it was taught for a year by sister Loretta Schaaf, who's a Franciscan sister, uh, but the funding was hard to get. It was through the sociology department, I think. And it was, it was through some grant that didn't last. So it was, it so then somebody proposed, well, this should really be in the women's studies department, as it was called then. It's now women, gender, and sexuality studies. So women's studies was going to take class. The director, Joanna, said, okay, who are we going to get to teach this women's spirituality class? And my partner, Jamie, was a student in women's studies and was working in their office as a work-study student. And she said, why don't you ask Frodo? Frodo has her her master's degree at the time. I didn't have my doctorate yet. And she could teach this class. She's been a speaker at it. And Jamie had taken the class the year before under Sister Loretta. And that's where she met. we met. <laughs> Another one of our sister spirit priestesses, Amy Schaefer, was taking the class too, when Jamie was. Anyway, so you have Frodo teach it. So Joanna... Johanna, Johanna Brenner, um, calls me like in May and says, how'd you like to teach this class summer term? Oh, it was like a two months or less. And I said, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got Jamie to find the syllabus from when she took it, or Amy still had hers or something. So I had some idea what to teach, what the class was about. So then that began as a summer class in women's studies. And then it went on to, and then I thought, well, why don't we do some one credit classes like the goddess could be a class kind of based on what Jeffrey Ash did. Let's do one on paganisms. Let's do one on ritual, all these little one credits. And then eventually the goddess class first, it was one weekend, then it was two weekends and it was called goddess prehistory, but it, it just, and we, la we launched it, uh, kind of part of the launch of it was with uh, Maria Gim Gim the film about Maria Gimbutas that started Signs Out of Time, the life of Maria Gimbutas, archaeologist. Um, so when that film came out, we did an event, we had a panel, and we showed the movie showing, and we launched the class then as a four-credit class, and it became Goddess 
not just goddess prehistory, but uh, the goddess, you know, pre and prehistory and history, because it occurred to me one of the of Gibutas work is, well, this isn't written. We don't know that's what that meant. These are female figurines. We don't know what they mean, you know. Yeah. And and she, with her understanding of myth and her own um, Lithuanian upbringing and uh, study knew what those symbols meant and said so and so i thought well what happens when we first start having writing you know what happens in the early history does it confirm what she was saying is it you know so then we go on to to have the full goddess class which is the the female imagery from the divine from the beginning of time until the future yeah <laughs> uh, so it's one term i mean how but Anyway, so then that became a class. Eventually, and, and then I started feminist biblical interpretation. <laughs> because cool. all these wonderful feminist scholars writing about and outing stuff about the Bible that we weren't told that's there, you know, that nobody knows if they read those feminist scholars. So, yeah, that's important because the Bible's so foundational to our society. but. They're interpreting it. Uh huh. I really say, you know, yeah. what's really there? You know, I, if you just even begin, created humanity in their image, male and female. Mm -hmm. There in the beginning of Genesis, okay. The pronouns are plural. The name of God is is a plural form. The the genders first. It's humanity without. A gender, just earth creature, Adam, and then it's female. And that's before the whole Adam and Eve stories later, you know, that rib story is the second time they talk about it. So anyway, I mean, even just that, you know, it's exciting yeah. that, wait a minute, we're made in the image of this, this non-binary, both and why? Yeah. And, you know, anyway. So and then it's and it's not even a monotheist word or pronouns. Yeah. So um and then you know got all the rest of the Bible right. <laughs> so so then that's class started. So and then I launched ecofeminist spirituality because because openness to the earth. We use Starhawk's book, The Earth Path, mm -hmm. um as the primary. There's two texts, but that's one. Get us to open our ears and our eyes and our senses, all of our senses, to what's happening in the natural world. Mm. And from that, and it's that's the best book about that that I know of, because it has exercises in doing the kind of deep listening, deep observation that we need to do in order to reconnect. Anyway, so class is the one I'm teaching now, or I have to get grades in about, I don't believe in grades, but we have to do you them. have to do it. <laughs> anyway, so so then all of those classes were made into one official course, Topics in Feminist Spirituality. So that's PSU. It's exciting to teach. So the, the course goes like this, the goddess, women's spirituality, feminist spirit, uh, biblical interpretation, and then the next fall, ecofeminist spirituality. I used to teach all four in an academic year, and they moved me to only doing three. So, 
I wish I could take that course. Dang. You don't do any online, do you? Um, We have found, well, first of all, we had to shift to remote, which I do as online teaching for people who don't know how to teach online. Um, Exactly. (laughs) But now uh, we have a possibility to attend from anywhere because so many students have a hard time attending, you know, even since we've come back to in-person classes, it's hard. So we usually have, uh, you know, as we recorded on zoom. So those who can't attend can come in the zoom meeting. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you want to talk about summer of Inanna? Yes. Okay. But you have yes, to go fast. Because uh, we'll go, we'll be quick. You have to be quick. Um, <laughs> well, I talked about her a little bit already. I was asked, okay, like 14 years ago, we did the descent of Inanna based on that stories in the book, Inanna, Inanna Queen of Heaven and Earth by um, Diane Wolkstein and Samuel Noah Kramer. We did that for Fall Equinox Festival one year. Well, then this last year, there was the proposal to do the descent of Inanna again. Meanwhile, that year when we did it the first time, I was made Michael Ag, who has Finnan, one of the people at Finnan, told me about Betty Dishong Betty Dishong Meador's book, Inanna, Lady of Largest Heart, a translation of poetry by Anhedoana. And Hedowana is the first author. The first author. Of all time? Of all time. N. Hedowana. Wow. E-N-H-E-D-U-A-N-N-A. N. Hedowana. The first author. Why don't we hear about the first author? She's a woman. She's a priestess of the, she's a priestess actually of the moon god. Um, in ancient Sumer, her father is Sargon too. King Sargon, okay. King Sargon. So anyway, so she uh, has poetry, but her poetry is to Inanna. It's to the goddess Inanna, who is who is the planet Venus. But she gathers to herself all the all the qualities that make civilization possible, which are called the May M E. Hmm. She gathers all the May to herself. And then she does this journey where she descends into the underworld to visit her sister, Erishkigal, because she wants the gifts of the underworld, too. So she goes down to see her sister, powers the gods of the, uh, you know, that enforce the rules of the universe, say, wait a minute, you can't be down here. You're alive. You can only come here if you're dead. So she kills her and sticks her on the. Meanwhile, however, Inanna's made preparations that she's told her faithful servant, Ninshabar, if I don't come back in three days from the underworld, you go to my father and grandfathers and you tell them and see if you could get some help. The God of Wisdom does help and creates the Galatur and Kurgara, two beings who are neither male nor female, and tells them, Creep into the underworld like flies. Empathize with Erishkigal. She will be crying out in pain when she says, oh, oh, you say, oh, oh, your insides. 
And so they do that. They go down there and they cry out with her. And she says, who are you who, who are crying out with me? You know, and then they, they, they tell her, you know, we're, we're not gods. We're more who we are. We're not gods. So she said, well, then I will give you a gift. And she offers them all these great gifts. No, we want only the corpse that hangs from the hook on the wall. Mm-hmm. They get, she gives them the corpse of Inanna, and they give her the water of life and the food of life, which Anki has given Mary into the underworld. They give her the water of life and the food of life and bring her back to life out of the underworld. That's the first resurrection story. Mm. And it's a woman. Yes. And in that story, that Galatur and Kurgara are neither male nor female. In many other Sumerian writings, including in Hedewana's, the, ga- the Galatur is female to female, made so by Inanna, and the Kurgara is female to male, made so by Inanna. Mm. And they're called reed marsh people because the reed marsh is between the water and the dry land. Because they can go between genders, they can go between worlds, they ecosystems, they can go between states of being. So they become the priestesses of ecstasy and lamentation. And whenever there's a crisis in the community, the Galatur and Kurgara are called upon to lead the people. Mm. So for me to spend the summer like that was deeply empowering and and enlightening because I realized how all those myths connect and that for me being made exactly the way I am for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing back the goddess to life. Wow. You know, that is what we're, we are bringing the food of life to the goddess, Mm. to she who holds all the may, she who is the light, the star, the planet Venus, the star who is both morning and evening star. So she's both genders, bringing that and bringing her back to light, to life, to people's consciousness is what it really means. Because I mean, she's always been, but yeah. in our consciousness. So to me, that's the project, that's the the calling, and really the core of what I think we need to do in whatever way we do it on the planet right now. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're here, you know, how do you encourage your students to, you know, bring that goal to fruition, I guess, you know, that law is a very lofty goal, but you know, we, they usually are when, (laughs) when it comes to humans. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the questions Starhawk asks and, in her book, The Earth Path, I think this is also in 12 Wild Swans. Um, one of the questions she asks is, what is your sacred task? Wow, and there's a series of questions. And I found this time especially, some students have trouble with the word sacred. Because if you attach some of them, if they were raised fundamentalist or, you know, in, in religions that were not um, welcoming or empowering to who they were, or anybody, <laughs> but anyway, that word sacred is a barrier. But so Starhook defines it as what is so important to you that you would give for it that means more to you than anything else. That you would give your life for it, you said? 
Yeah. What is your sacred task? What is what means the most to you? Um, and you so you think about who's the most important to me, you know, and they will say the forest or my or uh, justice, you know, and you identify this is what my core value is. Mm. And then, well, what are you going to do about it then? You know, are are the things you're doing in your normal day aligned with that purpose, your sacred task with your purpose? Yeah, you know, and so you begin to think, and what would the be like for you to be able to to do this, you know? And so then the the wheels start turning, and everybody figures out, wow, you know, okay, this is my sacred test. This is what I'm doing. So if I'm studying to to be a social worker, okay, because you know, helping people who are disempowered. Is the most important thing to me, you know. Like one of my students, I just did a recommendation for, who's a uh, an immigrant family. She's from an immigrant family. Okay, well, this is important for me to help people who are, you know, where my family was, or you know, they they realize that climate change is the huge issue that affects everybody on the planet right now. What am I about this? And to go and join an organization and work. For um, for those who are bringing that awareness, one of the groups I'm in, I just got a message today, Cascadia Magical Activists, bringing magic to activism, which I've always been doing, too. We didn't even talk about that. How yeah. I, uh, I was part of the LGBTQ justice movement, first ballot measure passed against LGBTQ people in our area. I was one of 18 who blocked the bridge that day you know and so we blocked the burnside bridge <laughs> say you know yeah. usual has to stop our state just voted against us you know so you know whatever justice issues to stand up for those to show up for those we did a great spell <laughs> last last winter we went to visit the law firm Stoll Reeves who represents Zenith Energy, which is the company that's got all those big oil tanks along the Willamette River and that's shipping this Bakken oil, crude oil through through Portland in little rail cars, you know, that have already exploded in some places. And anyway, they want to escalate how much they're shipping in. And so we did this awareness thing where it was a reveal spell. And first we showed, we had a bed hanging that showed all the greenwashing that company does. Mm. They flipped it. We went, Revealio, you know, and I got to be the witch who waves the wand and goes, Revealio. Mm. That's cool. He flipped the the um, the banner back and showed what it really is, what they're really doing. And it's a picture of the oil train that, caught on fire in the gorge a couple summers back. And this is what really happened and could happen again here. Anyway, actions like that, that through magic, bring into awareness, heightened awareness, what's going on. You know, that the yeah. company have all these commercials where they greenwash everything, but what are they really doing? Magic is a great way 
to not move the energy about it too, not just, you know, not just a play to look at or watch, but we actually moved the energy. We had a song, of course, we always have a song. We had a song where we moved the energy so that people would see. Anyway, it's just an example, but. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I have to ask, I have to loop back to what you were talking about before. So many things you said before, but simply put, do you believe in heaven and hell, given your academic background, given your, your, you know, religious background and also your Wiccan background? Yeah. Well, you know, the, when I said between worlds, yeah, um, you know, we've always had in our, um, our storytelling as humans to try to figure out, you know, where we are, why why are we alive? What is death? Why are we here? All those things. Yeah. When we try to make meaning, I mean, those places, quote unquote, heaven and hell have been ways of conceiving of the other worlds, the the realms of the unseen or you know, darkness. Or and light, or life, death, and reason—you know. So, religions have different imageries. I noticed doing the descent of Inanna. You know, she goes into the underworld, quote unquote, hell, and it's a place where Erishkagal is crying out in pain. So, I mean, there's pain there. There's in the passage in our experience as humans. Many or most of us, when we pass into death, we go through a passage of pain. I mean, that's part of the experience of going to the point at which we're pure energy and not matter. In matter, we get disenergized or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We, material, we dematerialize, like, yes. beat me up. Yeah, pre, pre-manifestation of form. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's an, there is pain. In that experience, right? She says, I'll be there for three. If I'm there for three, that's when you're supposed to bring me out again. Mm-hmm. It's also in our human consciousness that the moon waxes and wanes and it goes dark for three days. Yeah. You know, so Jesus goes to hell for three days, comes back to life in the resurrection. You know, these things are common humans. These are not belonging to one religion. Why do I, how do I think of heaven and hell? I don't think that heaven is where you go to get rewarded if you're a good person. Mm-hmm. You know, heaven is the experience, the energy realm, you know, really, the energy realm, which you will be fully in when you're not attached to matter anymore. But we can experience, certainly, that realm now. I mean, we can go in a guided meditation to the other world. Yeah. All, quote, unquote, the underworld is our understanding experience when we're going through that passage when we're going through pain you know or or at times of dark night of the soul which i yeah. think is lose meaning and you can't make sense of anything anymore yeah um, anyway when so i mean when you're in that space stuff you did you know comes back to bite you and you're oh my gosh i did all these things it's not somebody else imposing a judgment even though it's spoken of that way, mm-hmm. it's really um, what you do comes back to you threefold. Yeah. So if you have a time when you're not 
running around doing stuff, even when your energy, yeah, what you do is going to come back to you. Then with everyone lifting you up, praying for you, you know, you get through that to the joy of being in the pure energy again. I mean, and meeting people that you know who are fully energy and not matter anymore and all that stuff that people say experience with her death. Yeah, that's pretty much where I, I, we land on the same, the same uh, conclusion there. But I was, I just wanted to hear the way you were going to explain that. I think you're, you're right for sure. I'll give you a quote, how Julian does it. Norwich, which I was talking about. Mm -hmm. This is great quote. All will be well and all will be well and all manner of things shall be well. She's very famous for that. And she's told that, you know, in her vision. And she's like, she's in 1373. She's in the time when they were, you know, heaven and hell, all this judgment. And she's like, well, how can all be well then? (laughs) Is it well? Yeah. And, And so the divine just says to her, you will see it yourself that all will be well. Mm. And that's a statement that comes back. I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, all will be well. (laughs) Her society was going through the bubonic plague. You know, half the people in her town died when she was when the first wave of plague. So, yeah, in those times, all will be well. Yeah, it reminds me of Yogananda Pramahansa. The and and his, you know, meeting with the the gurus that he had from uh, the book audio, autobiography of a yogi, where he basically all of his gurus that are not that are some in manifested form and some not right like we were just talking about, they mm-hmm. say the same thing: all will be well. And but yeah. in their in their own words, they're saying that really you don't understand when you're in body the pain and suffering like your your father right like he's like well if there's a god why the fuck would he do this you know <laughs> yeah, bulge, yeah. you know but uh-huh. but it, the the message and this is so hard to wrap your brain around it when you're in physical form is that when you're not in physical form it, it all looks very different it all looks like what is it like um like contrast just contrast and growth and and the pain and suffering is sort of is sort of part of it. it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's kind of part of the way this planet works. Is does, is that what you think? Yeah, and it and it's all interconnected too. It's like the like Yggdrasil, the Norse world tree, you know, where these there's these different points on the tree. There's the realm under the roots where there's you know hell. <laughs> Actually, that word comes from that tradition different realms there's a realm of fire and a realm of mists and the realm you know and and you get to eventually middle earth right which is where that phrase middle earth comes from and then asgard and all these other realms along the world tree so uh, the tree being a symbol of the interconnectedness which it's interesting that we we see the interconnectedness symbolized by a tree and a lot of traditions do this too not just norse when we've found out now that the tree's roots actually do, you know, speak through the, the fungal network. Mycelium, yeah. Mycelium, I was trying to think of the name, yes. to everything. That you know, is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then energy does that too. So 
you know, we can visit like usually people I know who are in the other on the other side in Summerland, as we say, speak to me when I'm like in the bath or something. Yeah. <laughs> Worlds in some other way, you know, in a dream or something. So, I mean, we're not apart. We are interconnected. Yeah. I find that too, that when you're in a liminal space, it's more accessible. You can, you're more accessible or they're more accessible or, or both. I don't know. And then it, it's always a bit of a surprise. Great word, liminal space. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love that word and, and being in that space sometimes, sometimes it's not fun, but <laughs> I want to go back to the non-binary thing real quick, because I, I think in our pre-call, we talked about Lumeria and Atlantis and, you know, I, I think we hit on it for like a beat. And one of the things that really stands out to me in my childhood is, is being able to remember a past life and then having a mother who also was able to remember many more past lives than, than me even. And one past life that she always remembered so clearly was the sinking of Atlantis. And she, I mean, it was just so vivid and palpable. And when she would tell me, I had like a visceral reaction, you know, like I remembered what she was talking about. Now, I don't have as clear of memories as she does, but there, I, I have, I, I personally have no doubts about that experience. And something that I really remember about it is that we were non-binary, like everyone was non-binary at that time. And I just, well, I'm just curious, because you have such a, a holistic look on all of this, such an eclectic, eclectic approach on all of this, what are your thoughts on that? I wouldn't be surprised because, <laughs> you know, it's like, as I was saying, in the early writings we can read, there's not two genders. You know, there's there's male and female, but there's the Galater and the Kurgara. And sometimes they're neither male nor female. And sometimes they're one and made the other by the goddess. And, you know, I mean, it's not one thing or the other. And even in the biblical creation of humanity story, you know, it's right. not all that binary. And so I wouldn't be at all surprised if we thought of ourselves in that way in the earlier times have written records of yeah so that makes sense the idea of the sinking of atlantis you know i mean tolkien put that in as numenor the overwhelming of numenor mm -hmm. because tolkien had that experience too the um, past life memory well he doesn't call it that it's a <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. but or um or the great flood, you know, all the stories of the great flood. Mm -hmm. Well, we find there are great floods and almost every tradition has that story. So, yeah, certainly this happened. Certainly this happened. And it's interesting. I was in Ireland a long time ago. I visited Ireland. And one of the things that said in the county guidebook, there was this place where they said, oh, this is where Atlantis sunk into the sea. What? <laughs> it was on the west coast of Ireland. <laughs> so, do you think uh, it was there, or that it was just kind of a tourist thing? No, well, no. I think they think that they really do. Irish, oh. The Irish tradition, the um, Shanakis and the, uh, you know, would keep the history, and they kept it word for word. They'd learn word for word the stories. So, I mean, they have the date. <laughs> or something and you know i mean the place the date 
they have this amazing ancestral memory that's passed on orally. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, and they don't have any problem around time and space either. I mean, St. Bridget was the to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there's this famous pre-Raphaelite painting of the angels carrying Bridget across the sea and the the seals are guiding her and, you know, to back to in time and space, right? You know, because to them, okay, these stories are connected. Right, right. Therefore, you know, this happened. This happened. Yeah. Do you... Like I've, do you know who Morgan Daimler is? The author sounds familiar. Remind she's, me. She's written. She's so prolific. She's just written like a gajillion books on fairies and fae and Irish culture. Okay. And yeah. um, she's sort of like I. I say she like corners the market. Like she she really knows her shit. And um, when I was interviewing her, we were talking about how in Ireland they they really do believe in fairies i mean like yeah it's, it's not even like a weird thing like they'll like reroute highway construction if it's in the wrong spots kind of stuff yeah and i think i love for my listeners to hear things like that because it's like you know it's, it's stepping out like you said of of your sort of you know what we sometimes call like your mundane space to go into a space and and observe nature and reconnect with yourself reconnect with the land and remember that it's so much weirder than you think it is, you know, and it really, really, really is. It's not just about your fucking mocha latte at Starbucks and shit, you know? Yeah. And to respect, to respect those earth spirits. Yeah. Or it's fairies in the Celtic tradition or, you know, the other guardians of the land in whatever tradition, the sacred sites. I uh, always have a guardian of some kind that watches out to make sure that only those who are supposed to come into that space with the right in the right frame of mind you know so like when we were in ireland since i'm talking about ireland we were looking for drone bag and there's a story about in the guidebook it said it was so many kilometers outside of cork but it didn't say where or how to get there (laughs) so (laughs) their directions right so i thought okay let's get the store in this little town that's about the right distance so we go in and we ask at the store and she's trying to tell me she says well you go down the road and so i interrupted a what road she goes well the road that goes by my house okay i need more <laughs> and you come to a sharp bridge and second to the left and i Great. find okay don't ask any more questions just close your eyes and look at what she's looking at so we get back in the car we go down the road and there's another little road that goes off at the end of the village Mm -hmm. well this must be the road that goes by her house so we take that road and we come to this bridge that goes up down and around the corner oh here's the sharp bridge and we took the second turn to the left after that and we weren't absolutely sure until a red fox appeared sitting in the road looking at us and going a bit down the road and waiting to see if we were following and guided us along all the way until we could see the stone circle and then the fox disappears in the hedgerow. Dang, that's cool. So, uh, but that kind of experience I've had at other sacred sites where usually it's an animal or maybe it's an old, old person who only speaks the 
the indigenous language, who shows you the way into yeah. the space. And if it's a really visited by tourists place, maybe they show you the real route into the real experience of it. Yeah. Like Glastonbury tour, there was a, an old raven with like gray feathers on top that walked ahead of me after I, I just took off my shoes and thought, okay, I'm just going to walk where there aren't thistles. <laughs> and how this, this raven appears and starts to guide me the other realm. Yeah. There, but you know, if you just walk up the path, paved path, you're not going to yeah. be there really. And I want to ask this before I ask them my last question, because I know I, we both have a time crunch here, but you, I just could talk to you forever. But I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, so talk to me about vampires, because I think it's really interesting. And, and maybe this is another one where you just are like, I don't know. I don't fucking I don't know. know. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, you you did mention and I think it's so pointed that the what was it the the card or the quote that you got this morning was by Anne Rice and I believe <laughs> yeah. I, I believe yeah. I told you did I tell you that I just did a documentary on vampires or no I knew you did a documentary but I for what it was oh I didn't tell you so that's even more interesting that I didn't tell you so it wasn't even in your head and you and you pulled an Anne Rice card so what do you what are your thoughts <laughs> on vampires have you come have you you know, have you worked with any modern day vampires? Do you have any thoughts on them? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, my partner was telling me when we pulled that that quote about it from Anne Rice, which had nothing to do with that, but you know that she was telling me about Anne Rice, and she's she's read the books more mm -hmm. and studied them, and I found them to be dark enough that I didn't want to spend time in them. Yeah, by which I mean shadowy, not. You know, I mean, I like darkness, but, um, but I mean, I understand where she came from and all of that. I've heard the stories of her life. What do I think about vampires? I think that that blood has been a symbol of life mm -hmm. since the beginning of human humanity. When they are in the sacred sites, often they'll have red ochre on the entrance to the sacred sites because blood of life and death and rebirth you know it comes out at birth it comes in monthly uh to women it it, it comes when you're wounded it's you know it's just such a symbol of life itself so i mean when we bring the water of life and the food of life it's the lifeblood of mother earth that we're talking about it's the mm -hmm. the grain from the body it's the the fruit of the vine, you know, from her. Again, from her, we get sustenance. So, I mean, to put those two ideas together, I think is where they get the idea of vampires being, they don't die, right? Or they're undead, or they were dead, and now they're walking around dead. It's the yeah. transition between worlds, I think, is some of the symbolism. The fact that the worlds are traversable, that there are thin places or liminal times mm -hmm. when the veil is thin between worlds, you know, so the idea of people who can walk between. But then if you turn that to somebody who wants to take the blood of life from someone else for themselves, for their life, to make mm -hmm. them live longer, that's yeah. the whole issue of human greed that mm -hmm. comes to it. And are we, in fact, 
bleeding the lifeblood of the planet. Some people have said that taking fossil fuels is like that, that we're bleeding out the lifeblood of the planet. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a symbol of that, too, I think, of that. And, and it gets, and the other human drives that can get control get connected to it. So not just the drive to avoid death, mm-hmm. you know, to live forever or yeah. whatever, the drive to take more life from someone else for yourself. Sexuality it can be become, and there's a negative side to it too, and you mm-hmm. take it from somebody or whatever, in whatever way. So I think all those things get connected into the myth of the vampire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's a strong symbol for some things that we need to look at. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I know we have, you got to go, I got to go, but I have to ask you this last question. And that is, what is, what is one of, because I'm sure there are many, what is one of the most paranormal, supernatural, magical things that you've ever experienced in your life? Oh dear. Oh dear. How do I put that into one thing? You got to pick one, just one. Cause I feel like we'll probably talk again. <laughs> I suppose I'm, there's a lot counter with angel at one point that was interesting oh tell me that one well that's a i have to talk about more than one then um yeah that one i (laughs) i was having a fight with my partner and i got upset and i ran out of the house and i ran uphill because i was gonna you know just work it out right Mm -hmm. and i got to this island and i stopped at the traffic island and i stood there pretty soon that this person comes riding a bike down the hill. This old black man comes riding down the hill. He's got gray hair. He's on his bike. He doesn't have anything like a pack or anything to indicate where he's going or what he's. He stops and he starts telling me, God loves you, you know, and, and going on to me like that. And I thought, oh, great. I get a preacher. That's all I need is a preacher. I do not want, <laughs> you know. So, um, so he says, he starts to approach and I'm backing away. He says, okay, okay. I'm not going to come any closer. I just want you to hear me. God loves you. So then pretty soon here comes my partner driving up the street and stopping. She starts to get out of the car and he says, oh, good. There's your friend. Now that she's here, I can go because I know that she loves you and she's going <laughs> to make that clear to you. But I just want you to know, and he says, you don't ever forget that. And then he says, I'm an angel, you know. <laughs> he gets back on his bike and leaves. And I mean, there's all these things. I mean, how did he know why I was standing there? How did he know that she was my partner? You know, I mean, there's no way he could have known. Yeah. And were you like, were you thinking about hurting yourself at that moment on the traffic island or were you just kind no, of frazzled? I was just I was just standing there crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have even seen that. It was dark. Anyway, yeah. so I mean the the other thing was for him to say, <laughs> you know, I'm an angel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's either you know, the other thing that I think is so that I haven't figured out yet either is how did Naya the tree who's a friend of mine uh for a tree in Forest Park 
who showed me the vision of Mount St. Helens erupting five years before it happened. Wow, really? She, you know, I'm standing there with my hand on the tree, you know, just being with her. And I get this vision of all these thousands of trees going down at once, millions of trees just falling at once and lying like matchsticks in a gray landscape. Mm. And I go, whoa, what is that? And I realize it had to be a volcanic eruption from a tree's eye point of view. Right, 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 right. In the forest, right? Yeah. But it had to be a volcanic eruption. And I said, when is this going to happen? And she goes, soon. <laughs> and I go, okay, what is a couple hundred-year-old fir tree? Yeah, what's soon? for what's soon? So I wrote a song called Fire on the Mountain and published it in Woman Spirit magazine, Winter Solstice 1975, I think was the issue. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened in 1980. Wow, wow. So five <laughs> years so, soon. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know now that trees do, trees do, okay, you mm-hmm. know, but how did they know that across the Columbia River? There's no yeah. way there's any fungal network that interconnects there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still wondering, you know, how did how did that happen? That was and that experience of precognition about that eruption was common. Um yeah. so Le Guin, the uh, author, the science fiction author, mm-hmm. uh, called for a meeting in the Union Society uh for everybody who had precognitive or simultaneous visions about that eruption to come together and talk about it. So that was an amazing. Lots and lots of people saw that ahead of time. There was also an all tribes gathering for the native community to come together and talk about what does this mean. Yeah. I went to both those gatherings to try to process that, but that's probably the most powerful, what we would say, paranormal experience was the the receiving that message ahead of time that yeah. far time yeah well that's amazing and I, and I hear that you know more I think I'd love my listeners to just know that that happens more often than you think these premonitions yeah. for people and and really it is going back to that original thing that you said which is that like it it does get beaten out of you in a way uh through the the school system and just, just the, the way that we operate in society. And so I just want to remind the listeners that, you know, you can also have premonitions and you probably had one. Yes. You don't even realize it. And, yeah. I mean, experiences of anytime you're in a liminal space, people have, if they've been in a car accident or something, you know, cause they're in that life and death space um, yeah. during the past two years when all society shut down, I mean, people had, experiences during that time where they they reconnected with the place where they are you know yeah uh, absolutely write down your dreams write down your visions if you paint it i made a song about it you know whatever your your medium is to express those things that you're experiencing because it's not just you but it might be just you that uniquely can express it Right. In a way that there's people who can only hear it from you. That's right. That's right. right. 
That's yeah. the cool thing. And and I think because a lot a lot of times I even think that about myself. I'm like, oh, well, everybody knows this or, or this is something that's accessible if you want to go on the Internet. But no one can say it the way I say it. And no one can say it the way Frodo says it. No one can say it the way you say it, listeners, like every or, or say it or sing it or f- fucking draw it or whatever. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's your jam. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, and I'd, I'd really love to chat with you again if you're open to it after the holidays oh, yeah. and everything. That, that would be great. Yeah. After all oh, the grades are in. Ah. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. right. crazy. Thank, thank you. you thank Frodo. you. Thank you. That's all, folks. I'm going to get back to emailing and cold calling a gajillion people about this Kickstarter. Help out if you can. Again, all of the Kickstarter links will be in the show notes for this episode. And also Frodo's information will be in the show notes as well. You can check out the Julian Mystique on Amazon. And there will be some other links in there as well, including one to Sister Spirit. Check Frodo out. And if you're going to Portland State University, you should absolutely take one of Frodo's classes. I checked on Rate My Professors and they have a very high score. Take good care of yourselves. More woo to come. Love ya. Bye. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 